What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Round the X and Voyager, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear much more about them later on in the episode. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Elrond, an ambitious blockchain project that aims to solve some of the most pressing challenges in the space. His diverse background in state-of-the-art technology, applied philosophy, engineering, and blockchain has culminated in the creation of a company that could very well define the next wave of the internet. This is a project I've personally gotten behind and can't wait to see uh, come to fruition and launch, so I'm particularly excited to welcome uh, Benjamin Minkyu to the show today, man. Thank you so much for being here. Super, super excited to be here, Scott, and uh, have this conversation. Thank you. So I have to tell you, and I've mentioned this to you before, I was literally obsessed with the Lord of the Rings when I was a child. It was like, my parents bought me 10 different versions of the book. I had the hardcover ones and old ones and posters, and Elrond was one of my favorite characters. So I'm going to assume that you named the project after Elrond from Lord of the Rings. I really like to know why. Yes, for sure. So Lord of the Rings is indeed um, this type of book that... um, can can mark your life leave a mark on your on your life if you read it and understand it and the idea behind the name for us was that um, Elrond is this guy who is immortal super powerful and then still bent on doing good so we thought uh, this this would be a, a great aspiration to to aim towards so um yeah especially in the blockchain space especially with all this um stuff happening that we've gone through um i think elrond will will bring a kind of um light in 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 this space as we launch and and move forward uh, toward bringing the technology to the market i guess it's better than going with like a sauron or, or saruman or, or having your logo be a big uh, flaming eyeball <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, yeah indeed indeed that would make uh, some some interesting marketing uh, stuff but uh, yeah. i i would not want to have the the one of the most um, let's say ambitious companies be the sauron one <laughs> yeah probably makes sense uh we've got a few of those in the space probably anyways um so Listen, let's talk about what you're doing and uh, if you were trying to explain it to a child, really. What, what is Elrond? Why is it important? For sure. Um, Elrond is, I think, the creation of um, the most um, useful version of money. And to do this, essentially, we're doing and building two things. First, we're building a network that can process transactions at the scale of the internet. And second, we're building an interface that we've uh, only very, very briefly discussed about that will essentially allow anyone in the world with a phone and internet to interact with this um, core value layer. And 
I'll I'll complement this by saying that to best understand Elrond, you can take a look at the early days of the internet, and um, you'll see that basically you had two important inflection points there. There was this transition from dial-up to broadband, which essentially made the economics work for businesses and, and so forth. And then there was something even earlier than that, which opened the market to sort of anyone in the world without a technical background and, and so forth. And this was the browser moment. Right. So coming back to the blockchain space, we've seen a tremendous excitement with Bitcoin and Ethereum coming to life, uh, but it's been 10 years and we're still at seven transactions per second and 15 transactions per second, with the, which, is, which is a nice toy, right? I, I, I'm all for appreciating the, the um, innovation and the promise, but in order to really bring the next wave of adoption, we need um, to scale a lot um, higher than that. And so with Elrond, we are bringing this transition from dial-up to broadband in the blockchain space where we can process more than 10,000 transactions per second right now, not in the future, not, not promising this to happen um, in two or three years as, as some projects do, but we can do this right now. And then the second element is we believe that once we launch this, the most important and fierce battle uh, will be fought um, counterintuitively on the user experience side, not on the technical side. Once the technical side is solved, um, you'll discover that um, you can indeed take some people from the other projects and uh, build a, a really great reputation and a great brand. But the problem is that we essentially have too few people in the space right now because everything is super technical. And right. so with Elrond, we want to really, really change that. So, so basically, you're going to build this insane tech, um, as you said, going, I mean, we're, we're basically saying that Bitcoin and Ethereum are like the Netscape and 14.4 modem. <laughs> and exactly. now we're, we're moving to, to Google and, uh, and, and broadband. So yeah, that's the uh, underlying, would... that's the underlying story. But what you really care about is the user experience they shouldn't have to care about any of that at all, right? It should just be exactly. easy and fast for them. And, and you're building an interface for them to interact with it in a manner where they don't really have to worry about the technology. Precisely, precisely. The idea is that uh, when you look at it, nobody actually um, cares or even discusses the fact that uh, emails are sent through the SMTP protocol. Right. Uh, there are, of course, a few guys that discuss this and, and want to have a conversation around that. But those guys, you can count on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, everyone uses email. And um, there, there was this tremendous excitement with email, especially when you think that before email, you had post going to uh, the, the normal mail traveling in days uh, in like the, to the places that you wanted to send right. something. It's the same with money, right? We are, we're moving to the space where with Elrond, you'll be able to send money anywhere in the world almost instantly with a 100x 
uh, less cost than you did before. And at that point, um, yeah, things, things will change very, very dramatically. So how obviously we're seeing this tremendous rise in stable coins. Everybody knows about XRP. Everybody knows about JP Morgan building their own stable coin for transacting. How, how is Elrond different than sending Tether, you know, or, or sending one of these other things? For sure. Um, the idea, again, I think that is that uh, despite all these options you have currently, you still have very, very few people using them because yeah, the, problems, sure. the problems are still there, right? They've not been solved. So bringing a few more features when the core um, elephant in the room has not been tackled and it's, it's like the, most of the people are engineers and engineers, when they try to build a product, uh, they build the product that uh, doesn't look like, let's say, an Apple product. Uh, when you look at stuff, right. in, always in terms ugly of, and clunky. Yeah. In in terms of UX, right? But uh, the point is that everything you see in the space, whether it's stable coins, whether it's um, this kind of um, financial instruments, lending, and so forth. All of this will be changed with a, an interface that redefines the experience, right? It's like the, the wave, the next wave of hundreds, of, a few hundreds of millions of people will redefine the space um, and you can offer all these features. It's just that you're not playing with 50 million people anymore. You're you're playing with the whole world because right. anyone can use it. They don't have to learn anything they don't know yet. Um, and um, yeah, we're, we're super, super excited about this and actually can't wait to, to launch things and uh, move to market. So when will people see this actual interface um, so that we can get an idea visually of, of what you're talking about and actually uh, put our hands on it? I would say... Um, a couple of weeks, uh, we're, we're pushing as hard as humanly possible to, to get are. this out. Uh, and um, yeah, as soon as we have things, uh, we'll, we'll announce them. Yeah, of course. But I, I want people to know that we're talking about weeks, not months, not years. I exactly. mean, you're exactly. And uh, this is kind of your final push in, in this time. What are you guys doing to, to get ready and, and have this out in a couple of weeks? I know that you've got some pretty exciting things you've had uh, going on in the lead up. Um, the, the idea, as you said, is um, we've built this technology that that. Um, enables us to build something very, very different on the blockchain right now. Uh, just as we, we um, were able to start building some, some uh, cooler stuff on the broadband um, infrastructure one, once this was out. But uh, we've been working on this for more than uh, two and a half years. Um, and now before launching the mainnet, although we had the full feature infrastructure ready. Uh, there's actually no better way than testing this out um, than 
launching a sort of genesis simulation with people, uh, real people involved from around the world uh, in a decentralized setting, allow them to attack the network and move essentially from this fragile perspective where you sort of hope that no one will discover the bugs that you, you essentially have uh, to this framework where you not only want to be robust, but you want to be anti-fragile. So you want to um, admit that any code written by humans will inevitably have bugs. Of course. And then once you understand this, you say, uh, let's not wait for someone else to discover it. Let's pay people to come and take down the network, um, stress test it, try to attack it from different angles. And um, the, the more bugs we discover, the sooner the network becomes super, super robust. So um, we are now at the point where we said we just launched a battle of nodes competition. Uh, we put a prize of 60K, $60,000 in, in Elrond uh, for people to come, register, put their nodes up and try to take down the network in any way possible. So we're, we're super, super excited about that. Have more than 1,700 uh, 1, um, nodes from, from um, all over the world, more than 100 countries, actually. Um, and um, yeah, I think the whole framework, the whole mindset of shifting from this um, point where you you sit around and hope that you'll have the perfect architecture and then when you launch, it will all work, which essentially never happens, to um, taking everything in, saying, admitting that there will be bugs, improving everything uh, with, with maybe two releases a day and uh, pushing with the entire team like 24-7. Yeah, I um, know you guys don't sleep. Uh, yeah, this is, but it's it's super super exciting uh, because we we finally can see the stuff we've been working on that's tested and so forth, uh, and we're also testing a bit the limits to to see how much pain uh, we can take and well, um, yeah. How much pain have uh, have your nodes been able to inflict on you? I mean, have they been able to knock you out, you know, shut you down completely? Have they found small bugs? What, what, what's the experience actually been like? So uh, bugs uh, we've discovered and we discovered this um, uh, uh, sort of on a daily basis. It's mostly been minor bugs, though, and the, the kind of things that uh, we're expecting to, to uh, be found. Um, We've, we've not discovered yet critical bugs and I'm, I'm still very curious to also see this play out. Um, the process until now has been um, very engaging for the community and I would expect that starting with Monday, it becomes a lot more um, of a war where people try to take each other down, uh, try to take attack their nodes and, and so forth. So it's super, super interesting to, to see this play out. What is the uh, role of a specific node uh, with regard to Elrond once you do launch? So th there are several uh, types of nodes. There's uh, validators. So um, le let me go through a bit of the structure. So you have in Elrond, the way we are able to scale 
transaction processing to move from um, seven or 15 transactions per second, which Bitcoin and Ethereum can process to Elrond where we can process 10,000 transactions per second. Uh, we, we do a parallelization of transaction processing. So whereas in Bitcoin or Ethereum, you have this workload that is processed by all nodes at the same time in Elrond, you have this super smart mechanism that essentially divides and conquers. It divides the workload, um, puts the workload to different shards so that we can uh, parallelize transaction processing. And so you have shards in Elrond and under each shard you have 500 nodes. And um, essentially you also have some nodes that are in the waiting list to become eligible. And then an eligible node becomes a validator once it has the necessary stake, it has the necessary reputation, and it has gone through the process of qualifying. And there are some metrics that the network takes into account. And so um, there, there are this type of nodes, then there are observer nodes that just sit around and, and look for what's happening in the network. But essentially, the, the most important at this point is to be a validator node and be able to stake and help process transactions. How do you uh, eliminate bad actors or protect yourself from bad actors or, or nodes that uh, perform poorly? Uh, we're, we're actually, um, we've been thinking a lot about this process and we've come up with a few proactive approaches and then reactive approaches. Proactive means that, that uh, we've built a system uh, with a consensus mechanism that is called secure proof of stake because it, on the one hand, it eliminates um, proof of work, energy consumption, and, and so forth. On the other hand, it is really fast, but perhaps most important, it's super secure in the sense that we have a random sampling of the consensus group such that you never know out of the 500 nodes in each shard, you never know who will be in the consensus group because uh, the, the nodes are randomly chosen. And then you only have five seconds to attack a consensus group if you are malicious because then the consensus group is again randomly reshuffled. So sounds this like, is sounds like drug testing for athletes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but this is this is super super important because if someone has the whole history, knows exactly what's happening, then they could always come up with ideas uh, on how to attack the network and sort of um, plan some things. Now, when you add this level of randomness. It makes things super hard for, for attacks to be performed. Now, we have another layer of security um, proactively where at the end of each epoch, which is defined as a day currently in Elrond, you have one third of each, uh, one third of nodes in each shard, which are randomly reshuffled to other shards so that you can, again, make things even more unpredictable on this layer. Um, now, on the other hand, reactively, uh, we have a mechanism in the consensus through which you detect, when the consensus basically happens through a proposal of a block which is signed by the consensus group, 
and then validate it. The idea is that whenever um, a block is um, signed, either double signed or the signature, uh, the, either the producer, the proposer of the block uh, is putting some false information there or some of the block signers uh, that are in the consensus group are not signing uh, the, the, the block. Uh, this essentially results in a penal penalty for them. So they, right. uh, so such that when they stake, they know that they have a skin in the game. If they try to attack the network, um, they know they, they have uh, a penalty, they can lose the whole stake if there if if the problem is super serious or they can use a part of the stake if uh, the the let's say the attack is much more um um less less offensive right so there's there's different levels but clearly so the real answer is there, there's punishment obviously on the one side but sure. really there's tremendous incentive to be a good actor correct i mean more more elrond more uh, yes. becoming a validator and really it, it incentivizes people to behave well and be a part of a very positive community and, and build together. Yes, I, I think this is the fundamental role of a blockchain. So you have this in, in a very, very short um, description. Essentially, a blockchain is a database that is operated by a network of third party independent participants, which are decentralized and are running the nodes um, self-interested. So they're not doing it uh, out of uh, benevolence, but rather because of their self-interest. And uh, this is only possible through the economic incentive that is built in the blockchain. And this, this accounts essentially for most of the stuff that happens in a blockchain, but then you also need to have a, a bit of a stick, uh, not only the carrot, to make sure that uh, if someone wants to, to attack the network, then they first need to make sure that they have skin in the game. Once they have skin in the game, then um, there's this type of uh, mechanism that essentially prevents um, them having a clear idea of how they could perform the attack. Um, then there's this kind of economic disincentive where the more you have to invest to get the stake to perform the attack, at some point you'll start thinking, hey, if I need to pay 5 million or 10 million, why not help these guys and double, yeah. those, uh, double that money and not waste my energy? Because um, at the end of the day, um, there, there are some psychological uh, levels which when reached, will trigger you to, to start thinking the other way around. So um, this, this is um, very, very interesting to, to think about, but then also very well thought out so that um, whoever is interested in doing good and has a strong self-interest can, can make a really interesting profit and be part and co contribute and um, help the community grow, as you said. But then if there are bad actors, we need to make sure that at each filter level, um, very, very few uh, and as few as possible go through it. And then if they go through it, we, we have a way to, to get to them. So this is just an insanely ambitious project. I mean, 
I think your average person sees Bitcoin and Ethereum and thinks that they're probably extremely efficient. They're this huge step forward from you know fiat and, and PayPal and, and these other uh, forms of money and ways of transacting that we've seen. So now you can do 10,000 instead of seven or 15. What gave you the sort of ambition to tackle a problem this this massive. So I, I guess what I'm really asking is what's your background? How did you get here? How did you decide, yes, I'm going to change the future of money and transactions? I mean, it's just extremely, extremely impressive that you would tackle a problem this big. I would say that um, as with, with all projects, um, this generally starts from the point where you clearly see the solution, right? You, you don't initially say, um, okay, this is super ambitious, I, I want to do this uh, because it's ambitious, but you generally say, okay, I've been in the space for a lot of time and this, this, was, uh, this was the case with, with me. I essentially stumbled into Bitcoin sometime in 2013, um, then joined the NAM core team in 2014. And the reasoning here from the beginning was um, I, I had this fundamental insight about learning and about knowledge where I, I thought how I, I continually ask myself how you could find a way to learn the most interesting stuff that uh, you could learn today without having this lag of knowledge that uh, you, you really get with universities, you get with normal schools and so forth, where you, you're not at the cutting edge. Maybe you're 10 years behind. You just learn some stuff that has been processed, accepted, the consensus was there. And uh, the, the more you learn, the more you discover that there's a lot of substance that has not reached uh, you just because it's too new and too few, too few people understand it, too That's few people um, judge it and so forth. So my question was then, how would you find a way to skip all of this and be at the cutting edge uh, and and learn whatever is the most interesting stuff, most up-to-date stuff uh, uh, right now. And after reading like tens and tens of books and, and um, searching for, for interesting answers, I, I came to this idea that um, if you look at history, I, I've done um, sort of research uh, throughout history to, to look for scientists uh, that have made a huge impact and left a mark um, on, on history and see a bit how they lived, how, how they thought, uh, what was the way they were viewed during their lifetime and, and how different was it to how we view them right now. Um, and then oh, I've looked at artists, at entrepreneurs and so forth. And with each of those, you generally saw something which was sometimes a bit sad in the sense that through their lifetimes, um, very, very few people uh, got to see their work appreciated, right. understood. And um, the, the artists were, were the poorest, 
sort of uh, less understood. And now you have this um, contrast, which, which is super sad in, in one sense that um, an artist would die of hunger, sort of super poor, and now his painting is sold with $200 million. Right. So this, this doesn't make sense. So then after researching this, basically I said, okay, um, people are not understood. This is sad. Um, the way to solve this would be to basically be able to understand this really deep things without having to require validation. Because it's always that you don't get the consensus until after a few years when um, either the, the, you know this joke that even, even physics doesn't move forward um, only, so physics only moves forward when the professors or the, the guys that currently hold the, the uh, let's say, current theories die out. Yep. And because then somebody physics, else needs to come around and push the issue. Yeah, yeah. And, and so if physics works that way, then it's a, a lot maybe worse for the others. But then the, the conclusion to, to maybe um, resume was that if you could discover this type of people in whatever field, um, then you could be 10, 20, 50 years before everything. Um, universities and whatever was taught and so forth. So then I made it my goal to first discover these people throughout history because this was a lot easy and, and say there are super few people that um, stand out throughout history when you look at, let's say, engineering, when you look at different sciences, when you look at entrepreneurship. And then the even more interesting question after you find those is who are those people today that nobody really understands yet? Because if you can find those, then um, you're, you're basically, again, many, many years ahead of your time. And then the even more interesting thing is, uh, and possibly the most difficult is, who are those people that are not yet um, at that point, like they're, they're Einstein while he was working as a patent clerk right. in Switzerland. And if you could, the question is, if you could have a conversation with Einstein while he was working as a patent clerk, would you be able to um, discover anything? In right. would, you, would you be able to identify that genius before he even identified that genius to some degree? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so this, this is how I discovered Bitcoin uh, because I, I uh, was looking for, for technologies that are at an inflection point that people don't really understand. But again, like with the scientists, they have this huge and interesting arc in the future and once they gain traction, um, they, they will really change the world. Uh, so Bitcoin was this perfectly hilarious idea. In one sense, it was super, super interesting from a technical and economic standpoint. In another sense, it was basically going against everything you knew in finance and, and um, conventional economics. Right. So I moved with that. And then um, the, the next step for me was... Uh, basically the conclusion to, to what I've researched before, which was if you want to go even one step ahead of what these people, let's say the most advanced, tell you, the only way is to start building stuff. Right. That's what, what happens at the cutting edge. So I said, 
then the best way to learn about the stuff is not only to read and discuss with people, but get involved. And so I got involved with, with NEM. Um, and then after NEM, um, in 2016, I basically started a fund with my brother again to, to try to validate some of the score hypothesis that we could um, identify all the interesting architectures that were attempting to solve real problems, uh, dissect the noise and, and see what was really uh, meaningful. And then after about one and a half years of seeing all of this, again, um, I noticed that this problem of scale, scalability um, would become an inevitable bottleneck that nobody was tackling at at the level that it was uh, required to be tackled. So there were a lot of projects that just came with 3x improvement, 5x improvement compared to Bitcoin or Ethereum, but this essentially only delayed the problem. You, you got uh, a solution for three to six months, but then you have the same problem. So we said, unless you can come up with a solution that is something like three orders of magnitude, an improvement, um, it, it's not even worth coming with a solution. So um, this, this is the background that led to Elrond. Uh, we've, of course, first tried to persuade some of the projects that we've invested in that they should change things, that um, there, there were solutions there um, that were 10x, uh, 100x better than what they were trying, and they should just, just try that. Um, but it was always problematic with this type of discussion. Some of the people came from the academia and um, while they understood a few things, they, they were super risk averse, um, not necessarily interested in trying this out, but more going the, the clear way where something was validated again and, and so forth. So at that point, we said we, we had enough money to, to not worry about money. Um, after the whole process. So we said, let's, let's just build a team with which we can build rockets and um, do this, solve this problem ourselves. Uh, this, this is essentially how Elrond started. Roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time, and they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundthex.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission-free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. 
Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. Pretty, pretty mind-blowing and a really interesting theory. Um, I remember I went to college in the 90s, so I'm a bit older than uh, most people in this space, but I remember being told it was in our commencement address or something like that. It, it was 1999, and they said, everything you've learned in the last four years is already irrelevant because of yeah. the velocity of information. And, and I think when universities hire learning these other um, – things you discussed, the way that we're educated, we're all developed in a time where information really was not received or uh, very quickly, you know, just there was not that much innovation. There was not that much tech. And so now I think that your approach to learning is actually far better than probably any student is going to find in a university or any sort of higher learning. You really can learn anything you want to if you dig deep enough without uh, having a teacher. You just have to know where to look, I guess, and know, know how to find it. But I've never really thought about it in the way that you just uh, articulated it. So really, really, really interesting to me. So you raised money, you started, go ahead, sorry, yeah, please. No, uh, I, I, and this was again, always a process for me. So I, when I first discovered this, uh, very few mind blowing books, it sort of blew me away to how far some people were from other people. Like, uh, I, I almost starting asking myself, like, why are we leaving? Um, uh, why is life here like 200 years uh, in the past? It really why, is. Why? Yeah. yeah. And it, this was the process. Like, this was the first level. Then the second level is discovering the people that are alive and are doing this and not understood. And then the, the sort of final level, which you basically see implemented in, in many other people, is understanding that the most interesting stuff that you could learn has not been discovered, has not been written yet, and is far outside the frontier of what we know, understand, and have accepted as, as, uh, as truths. And if you can venture uh, there... And, and move, it will be difficult. It's hard to, to go through the stuff, but um, that there's nothing like that. Like there, there's a world to be discovered. So talk about, uh, to that end, talk about what applied philosophy really is and how that, I mean, is that what we're talking about here to some degree? Is that the, the field of applied philosophy? Because it was a somewhat new term to me when I was introduced uh, to it when, uh, you know, talking to you and, and, uh, figuring out uh, uh, what you were all about. So what, what is applied philosophy? The, the idea is that um, indeed at some point I, um, I basically read a lot. Um, I read like hundreds of books just to, to absorb the information and sort of create a, a kind of tree of knowledge through, through which you get a, a sense of what's the state of the art in, in engineering, what's the state of the art in genetics, what's the state of the art in, in these different fields. And then at that point, you, you sort of understand that um, in the fundamental principle is that the map is not the territory, that all these maps that we had throughout 
the time have proved false or incomplete. And so to treat something as final is, is a kind of sin in the sense that you'll soon discover that it's not final, that it's incomplete. And the point is always um, what is basically every model is wrong, but some right. are useful, right? right? The idea is to make it less wrong. How, how do you make it such that uh, with each new trial, you have something that is more accurate and less wrong and it allows you to move forward. So philosophy tied into this because it allows you to abstract things, to discuss about them, to see them in new perspectives. Applied philosophy then is essentially just trying to make sense of the world a lot faster, creating this kind of mental models that allow you to navigate a field even before it's clear to the, let's say, the professors how this would pan out. Um, let's take, for instance, uh, genetic engineering right is now. Is this mental like, mapping? Is that the, the, the term is mental mapping, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and uh, this, this is just one of the things. Um, uh, applied philosophy is essentially this idea that you can construct mental tools which help you navigate the world a lot faster, whether right. it's um, uh, engineering, whether it's science, whether it's real world uh, life and application, you can always see the world in uh, many ways. And the idea is to understand that there's perception, there's processing, and there's reality. You, you usually don't see reality. You see right. a kind of perception that is interpreted to all these mental models that you, um, even, even if you're not aware of them, right. you, you still have them. Right. All your biases, all the things that you've learned throughout your life, just basically the way that you are individually programmed. You were going to give an example and I interrupted you about uh, genetics, I believe. Yeah, I, I do think that, as I said before, there are very, very few technologies um, that are, are, can be put at, on the scale of evolution. So the, they have this, this potential to change things to such a degree that you will not recognize the world after that. Doubt it, right. And uh, there are very few of those. And one of this is essentially genetic engineering. If, if and once you can edit genetic code as you write computer code, to not only solve um, any illness, um, difficulty, problems like that, um, but improve different features to degrees that you've not seen before, the world will become uh, super weird <laughs> very, very fast, right? right. And, and so people, I think, don't think sufficiently about these matters that will come um, and advance a lot faster than we expect. And, and mental models and, and uh, having a, a kind of idea of engineering, but then also a, a bit of applied philosophy allows you to make sense of this, process them a lot faster, and um, also make some decisions in a timely manner. You're from the future, I'm convinced. You were like sent <laughs> back through some kind of 
portal on an Elon, Elon Musk rocket or, or something. Uh, it's amazing though to hear it because it's such a fresh perspective. And uh, when you apply the ideas back to the way you've learned things and the way that you've been taught, you really do realize how far generally each of us as individuals are behind. Um, and that there's only a few people, as I referenced, like the Elon Musks of the world who really get it and, and, and get ahead and, and make those kind of uh, changes that happen on an evolutionary scale, as you said. So um, going back yeah. to, to, to Elrod, I know that um, you guys have some really impressive partnerships and projects you've been working on. And every time I look up you guys, I see Samsung, Samsung, Samsung. So what are you guys doing with Samsung? You know, how are they applying your technology? We, we indeed have um, a lot of collaborations and partnerships. And uh, in fact, we've been announcing some collaboration uh, the past few weeks almost daily. Uh, so we are, we are ramping up things and, and pushing the acceleration pedal uh, in preparation for the mainnet launch. Um, indeed, there are a few collaborations that are stand out uh, because they're they're huge samsung um, for instance has the um, revenue um, equal to the gdp of romania uh, to put things in perspective right. so so right. it's um, it, it's an interesting uh, perspective there what we've done with samsung is um, we've done two things first integrated the elron token in the samsung wallet uh, which is already um, there, it's, it, it happened. And the second point is we've done an integration based on a game that we've built and shipped to the Samsung Dapp Store. It's already live, it's called uh, Battle of Elrond, and uh, people can basically fight uh, a multiplayer deathmatch uh, among friends uh, on, on mobile. Deathmatch among friends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, and and um, uh, win win some some uh, Elrond tokens. Uh, this is this has been the starting point with with Samsung. There's um, a lot more that can happen here, but we we always take it step by step. Uh, we we really like that they're um, very interested in the blockchain space and um, wanted to show them how fast we can execute, how, how fast we can move forward so that then uh, a lot more doors open to, to collaborations uh, among us. I would also add that there's um, the latest and probably again, one of the very, very interesting things that we've announced is um, collaboration with Binance, where Binance, Binance is BUSD, Stablecoin will also be launched on Elrond as soon as the main it is out. Um, yeah, we, we have a few super exciting things that are not, uh, not announced yet on this front, but maybe another 30 collaborations with different startups or companies uh, from, from around the world. So what does it mean that you're with BUSD? That means that they're actually going to transact on your network? That's the way. Yes. So, so the, it'll be the infinitely faster than any other. Right. Precisely. So the idea is with the stable coin, you have the smart contracts that essentially performs transactions. Um, everything else is super straightforward. You deposit money in a bank, you get this um, token. Uh, the only thing you can essentially optimize with the stable coin that is um, backed by 
uh, fiat money is the speed of the transactions and the cost of the transactions. Because um, we, the, the larger the adoption is, the more it makes sense for you to optimize because on volumes you can make or lose a lot of money right. actually. So this is why uh, we've already built the um, uh, smart contract for Binance BUSD on Elrond. Uh, this was this was very interesting, um, super hardcore. Again, as as our team um, works, um, one of our uh, guys took basically about two days to just uh, prepare the smart contract for uh, Binance on that front and uh, so that they can test it, play with it and prepare it so that once the mainnet launch is out, they can start uh, using this. And there's been a lot of hype around Ethereum 2.0. How does that compare? I mean, is that considered a competitive product or technology, I would assume? And, and uh, you know, why, I guess, is Elrond better? Uh, this is this is a, a good question. The the problem that I see so that there are two points. The advantage of Ethereum is Ethereum has already a bull run uh, behind it, and during the last bull run, people people create some very sophisticated explanations of why Ethereum works, why it has all these network effects and so forth. But this is only hindsight. Uh, with hindsight, you can always explain things in a super elegant way that satisfies whatever you want to, to prove. But essentially, Ethereum took off uh, unexpectedly and very surprisingly during the last bull run with the ICO boom. Right. It did not take off due to uh, all these sophisticated reasons that um, are applied right now. And uh, on the other hand, as soon as it reached a certain point, Ethereum became super reputable uh, due to the value that it created and the people that it attracted and so forth. So as an effect, this large ecosystem of people grew um, and built a lot of interesting and cool things. Now, the problem is that when you start small and become super large, as Ethereum is right now, you lose one thing, and this is agility and flexibility. Um, you, you cannot make decisions overnight. You cannot build stuff overnight. So as we've seen, Ethereum, despite a lot of efforts, um, has been discussing Ethereum 2.0 for how many years right for, now? For, I, for as long as I can remember, right. And so there's this kind of fundamental limitation that, this Ethereum is moving against, which is um, uh, called the Brooks Law, which says that if you add more developers to a late project, it will only become later. Um, <laughs> meaning that it's super counterintuitive, but whatever you think you will gain but by adding more people when you already have a lot of people, is just a super high overhead cost in communication and complexity management. And so to add something even more problematic on this, Ethereum has never had a definitive and clear spec for what they are building. So it's like you're driving, uh, you're driving a, a super fast, like a, an interesting car, 
but then you're trying to change the engine while the car is moving. Right. And then um, also you, you're not sure if this is the engine or you want a different one. Uh, so it's, it's super, super uh, problematic of uh, if you think about the way they, they're trying to execute. So I, I would not think they, they will have anything ready in the next two years. This, this could change, of course, but um, uh, I, I don't see it uh, happening. And so Elrond, on the other hand, this is, this is the most important advantage we have. We are small, we're super, super focused, and um, we're um, hardcore. Uh, if we want to move some mountains, we'll not sleep a few nights and push things forward. And we have a clear, definitive um, idea of specification. And we are not going to launch in two years, but in a few weeks. So um, wow. if, if, if you can process all of this uh, with 10,000 transactions per second, then have the tools and so forth. Uh, if you can launch in weeks, uh, nobody will, will care if you can bring the same technology in two years, right? Right. So basically, Ethereum was a very cool idea, but very early it exploded because of speculators, not because of the tech, because of traders, really, people exactly. buying it exactly. because, exactly. and then through that, it gained such crazy name recognition and people building on it that it actually got too big for the existing technology. And now you have a situation where any even small change could uh, potentially destroy everything that's already on the existing network in the first place. and. Uh, and so a huge mountain to move to get to the point where you could actually change anything significantly. I mean, is that, that's the gist of it? Yes. I, I don't think, th so I don't think they will disappear to, to be precise. Uh, I, I, don't I don't think, think so too. I mean, they're, yeah. they're first to market to whatever degree. Exactly. It's, the, it's the household name, you know. Exactly. Uh, I, I think they will have some value. I just think that um, the current blockchain space is not even 1% of what we could have as an adoption curve. If you understand the potential, the market that, that we could target, that we could bring in and, and so forth, and the economics of it. Uh, and so I don't think, on the other hand, that Ethereum will lead the next wave just because Ethereum is sort of stuck in the past with this right. legacy technology that they need to manage. It's like uh, I, I do think that I, I do think that if Vitalik would build Ethereum right now, he would probably go with uh, what we have in Elrond. Yeah, I'm he would do it very differently. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, Ethereum is like when you look at the uh, controls of the space shuttle, which are still like computers from the 1970s and 1980s, and you're like the Tesla, the SpaceX rocket that just went up with the. Uh, Flat screens. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, they were still the, the crazy thing is that as I mean, it's a funny aside, but they were still sending, you know, space shuttles into into space with technology and computers from 10 to 15, 20 years before, because it, it's kind of a similar example. They were never able to advance the technology without taking the entire thing apart, which they didn't have the funds or means to, to do. So it's it's actually kind of a, a funny way to 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 look at the two things. Yeah, I think. I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think in, in your analogy, the idea is that as long as you don't have an alternative and things work, uh, okay, they're, they're good enough. When you have an alternative or things don't work, 
and you're constantly frustrated that they don't work. And then uh, an alternative comes along. At that point, a lot of uh, interest will just move as fast as possible. Right. Um, and, um, and I think right now is the perfect moment because of the macro landscape, then also the technology starting to be ready and uh, just in time. Well, sadly, uh, a few space shuttles exploded, you know, as a result of the technology not being advanced. So there really was something that needed to change. And as we say in America, though, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. It's kind of a, a classic saying here. So um, since you're from the future, can you tell us who's going to win the next presidential election here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really need to know, or, or if Bitcoin's going to reach a million dollars, like all the uh, <laughs> all the me- mega bulls tell us. <laughs> no, yeah, no, for, no sure, answers. for sure, for sure, for no. sure. I think this this will play out uh, very very interesting on on both fronts. Yeah, um, uh, it's it's super funny if you look at twenty uh, twenty compared to all the other years. It's almost like it's um, it's fictional. It, if you would write some fiction uh, and would put all of this in it in 2019, you would have said, you know, this is this is we've, super crazy. We've, we've lived a complete lifetime in this year. Really, it feels like I mean, the news cycle happens so fast now that I can't even remember the insane things that happened like last week that would have been the biggest news event of an entire year of the last decade. Yeah. It really yeah. is pretty astounding. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Mainnet is coming. You guys are ready. You guys are ready to launch. What is the 10 year from now future of Elrond? What's, or, or are you already ahead in your mind and trying to figure out what the next thing is once this is going and running? Uh, no, I, I do think Elrond will play a crucial role for the future because essentially um, I think blockchain will be the most important global GDP multiplier since the internet. That there will no, there will be no question about that. As soon as things start picking up, people will will relive the internet days and start to understand what difference it actually made. Because everything we're discussing today, especially for for me, without the internet would not have been possible. Everything I read, everything uh, like I discovered by myself without the internet, I, I would have. Uh, probably lived in a Go village. Go to library, with, yeah. After, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so this, this I think, will be the overarching theme for the next 20, 10, 20 years. Uh, so throughout this, Elrond will specifically try to um, give anyone, anywhere, easy access to this digital economy by by creating this underlying technology and then also by creating this user interface that makes it super easy and super compelling to use these things without learning uh, uh, about them. And um, then I also think that if I were to look to something more specific with the user interface, uh, we'll probably reach 1 billion users in in 10 years. So it, it will be so so crazy compared to what we have right now that uh, you'll almost, um, yeah, you, you, you just have to, to look at how crazy Uber looked 
when they were compared to the taxi business. Yeah, nobody and, thought that Facebook was going to have billions of users, you know, and touch every corner of the world. I remember when uh, it was just for college kids and I couldn't even uh, start a profile. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Seemed like it was so, gonna, uh, like a bad version of MySpace. You know, it's, it's crazy how, how things uh, develop and, and advance. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, having 1 billion users use blockchain is sort of inevitable. Uh, if you look, um, the, the further you look in the future, the, the clearer it becomes. Uh, the only thing I want to make sure is uh, that we advance as fast as possible through, to, toward that. And with Elrond, this is what we're specifically targeting. And um, this is why we, we don't sleep at night and try to to push things and um yeah we 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 cannot be more excited about this i'm sure we'll build Can't a lot excited. more things uh, a lot more things but they will have to do something with elrond always yeah that makes sense well you got me really 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 excited again because as i touched on in the beginning i was already excited so um yeah i'm really thrilled that uh you're pushing so hard because i think it's going to be huge and it's funny every time i interview any ceo in this space the idea of inevitability comes up and it's never a question that i ask Everyone who's building in this space and has, an, I think, an inherent understanding of what's happening really, truly believes that uh, blockchain is is the future and that that is 100% inevitable. So it's it's great to always hear that consistently. It gives a lot of validation to uh, all of the hard work that you and, and them are doing, certainly. Yeah, so. I, I, I would also add that there's always a cost of opportunity for the future. So... Uh, that you you could improve things, and even if you think that at some point they will become inevitable, um, I, I do think on the other hand that it, they're only inevitable if enough people are really pushing as hard as possible toward that. And since a lot of people are still unbanked, um, a lot of inefficiencies can be found in in the economy, and with the current general macro landscape it's super problematic uh people like uh, normal people average people are starting to ask uh, really interesting questions because um you you have to start asking them otherwise uh, you, you might be uh, super sad that you did not do this and um the whole point for us is to try to make sure that uh, we can win even even one or two or three years uh, in which we can accelerate this instead of letting it uh, come later would actually uh, translate into people that are are still alive because otherwise they might have died either run out of resources or um, uh, not not be able to to move move on with their life build a new life and so forth so for for us this is something which translates to, to real impact in the world. And the time is super valuable. Right now, um, time, is, uh, time is of essence. I really never thought about it in that context. I mean, it's much like trying to find a cure for a disease or cancer. Yes, we can say that a cure for cancer is inevitable, but it would make a hell of a big difference if it happened next year instead of in 50 years. Yeah. The, how many lives yeah. you would save 
in your case, yes. how many unbanked people could be banked, exactly. how many people could cross exactly. borders and, and really change their lives. It's a really eloquent way to put it. Uh, I love that. Um, so where can everybody follow you uh, moving forward? Make sure that they don't miss the mainnet. Follow Elrond. What's the best play, way to keep up with you? Elrond.com um, first. They, they can see all the informations about the project there. We have, we have a newsletter. We have Elrond um, Network on Twitter and, and myself on Twitter, Benjamin Minku. Um, and um, we also have Telegram groups, um, a, a super excited community uh, to, to just help. Uh, with with answering questions, with, with being there, um, I, I would also add that since the network, uh, the uh, mainnet launch is coming, it's super um, exciting to to get involved right now. If people are developers, they can start playing with the technology. If they're uh, just validators and so forth, they can start experimenting with with the network that uh, will prove some very, very interesting points uh, during the next period. And then if they're just um, enthusiasts, again, they can engage um, with the community and become part of it. So we'd love to hear any kind of feedback and um, have people come and um, start using Elrond. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you definitely blew my mind. Um, and I, I, I'm very impressed with the way that you think. And I think it's going to give people a different perspective on not only what's possible with blockchain, but what's probably possible individually with them if they sort of break out of the constraints of, of the way that, you know, they're expected to live their lives and sort of the path that we've all been put on. So I appreciate uh, you sharing all of that. And I look forward to definitely doing this again in the future. Maybe you'll have to come back after the mainnet's running and you've changed the world. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for the conversation. Super, super great to, to be here. And uh, I'd love to, to come back and continue. Um, I think Elrond will, will be here for the long term. And um, yeah, very, very happy to continue the conversation. Thank you. I believe you. Thanks. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.